begin met dan een geleentheid om vir die camera te kyk en ons online gehoor te sê, baie, baie welkom by ons online dienst. Kerkfamilie, kan ek vraag met die handen klap, kom ons verwelkom ook ons online gehoor. My gebed is, dat dit wat ons hier beleef, dat jy dit, dat jy dit in woorde gefinere sal beleef, die heilige is, die woord, ook krachtig sal gebruik om jou te bemoedig vandag. And then with that being said, church family, it is my privilege this morning to also welcome Professor Richard Weikart to the stage, if you can join me on, on stage, Professor. Uh, so Professor Richard Weikart, I'm going to ask you to welcome him with a, with a hand in a, just a moment. Uh, but Professor Richard Weikart is, a, is a, a, a professor of literature at California State University. He's also a senior fellow of the, at the Discovery Institute. And of the work in the, of the Discovery Institute, I will tell you a little bit more later on. But um, he is an apologist. Now the word apologist doesn't mean you make apology for anything. It really just means that you give a rational or reasonable defense or explanation for your faith. God uses Dr. Richard, amongst many other people, to really, within the realm of academics, uh, to give, uh, to be an, uh, you, you can call it evangelist if you like, to, to evangelize in that sphere. And there is much to learn, and we welcome you this morning, Professor, and we're so privileged to have you here, and uh, we're excited to, to, to hear what you've got to share with us this morning. Just one last interesting note before we welcome uh, Professor Wycott with a, with a hand. He is the father of seven children. So um, anyone that's raised seven children deserves uh, to minister and to, to uh, teach as many people as he possibly can. So can I ask you with a hand, let's welcome Professor Wycott this morning. Can I also then also ask you to extend your hand and let's close our eyes and let's pray with him and open our hearts to receive your, your God's word. Thank you, Father, for, for uh, this wonderful man, the gift that you've given him, and um, the servant heart with which he serves. This morning, we open our hearts to receive through him what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here with you uh, today. Uh, the only uh, sort of tinge of regret that I have about being here in South Africa this time is that today, my son-in-law is being baptized uh, in, in my hometown where I live, and so I'm having to miss that. But uh, I'm, one, I'm glad to be here with you and to be able to share the Word of God with you today. So what I'm going to start off with uh, is a question that may seem obvious, but maybe it's not so obvious, and that is, why did Jesus come into the world? Now, there's, of course, a number of different correct answers. There's not just one correct answer. There's a number of correct answers because Jesus came into the world for a number of different things. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. He came, of course, to die on the cross for our sins. But there's an interesting verse in John 18, 37 that really struck me very powerfully one time when I was reading it. And there Jesus lays out why he came into the world. He said, For this cause I was born, and for this cause... I came into the world that I, what? What did he say? He said, this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then when Jesus said that, he was talking to Pontius Pilate. That's when he was before Pontius Pilate on his trial before he was crucified. And Pilate's response was very interesting because I think it's the same response that a lot of people today have, you know, when you, we try to talk to them about truth. Pilate's response was, what is truth? And that's exactly what a lot of people today are trying to grapple with in our culture 
uh, and society in the United States, in Europe, in South Africa, and, and elsewhere. You know, what is truth? And so that's what I want to talk to us about today, is what is truth? And first of all, I want to make it clear that truth is not just something that's some abstract ideas, because some people think, when they, also when they think about Christian apologetics and they stuff, they think we're, we're just talking about the mind, we're just talking about a bunch of abstract thoughts and ideas about things, but God is the truth. The truth is integrally related to God and his character and his nature and who he is. Uh, when God says something, it is true, and it happens. When he said, let there be light, there was light. Whatever God says takes place. And uh, we know Scripture also says in Titus, two verse one, uh, Titus 1 verse 2 that God cannot lie. So God is, truth and God are integrally related. They're not just sort of, it's not sort of divorced from God or from who he is. It's part of his very character. And Jesus, of course, made that very clear as well. When in John 14, verse 6, the famous passage, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus identifies himself as the truth. So again, when we're talking about what is truth, we're not talking about something that's just divorced from you know, God and some kind of ideas that are just floating out there. In fact, that's one of the misconceptions that many people have. And I had, actually, when I grew up in a church, I grew up in a, a church as a child, and, and one of my sort of concepts was that faith and belief was just about mental, mentally understanding something and being able to, you know, when you got to heaven, you would just sort of, sort of say the right words and if you knew the right things, that okay, you're in. But it's knowing God. Truth is being with God and knowing God. And Jesus made that clear also about the Holy Spirit. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all identified with truth. When Jesus in John chapter 16 spoke about the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit who he's going to send, he said, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come. And so he calls him the Spirit of truth. And then he says, he will guide you into all truth. And so the Holy Spirit is also identified with truth and guiding us into truth. So why is truth so important? Well... In James chapter 1.18, it says that God brought us forth by the word of truth. So we were born again. We were cre created by God through truth. It's when we learn the truth about Jesus and what he did for us, and of course also about our own condition, our own sinful condition, it's when we learn the truth about these things that we were able to be born again, that we were brought into the kingdom of God. And so... You can't even come into the kingdom of God without embracing truth. Truth is fundamental. You know, you're not in God's kingdom unless you have embraced his truth. And Jesus, when he was speaking about truth in John chapter 8, and by the way, the whole book of John talks a lot about truth. If you want to read about truth, read the book of John. John Jesus in John chapter 8, 32 said, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free from what? Well, in the context, it's clear he's talking about freedom from sin because that's what he goes on to talk about immediately after that in that particular passage. So uh, the truth is going to liberate us. The truth is going to make us free from the sinful things that are destroying our lives and, and ruining 
us. And Jesus also made that clear a little bit later in John when he was praying to God just before he went to the cross in what some people refer to as Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus said, sanctify them through your truth. He's speaking to the Father now. He said, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And so truth is what sanctifies or makes us holy. It's what changes us, makes us more like Jesus. That happens through truth. That's why truth is is so important. And also, as we worship, Jesus in John chapter 4, when he was talking to the woman at Samaria, he said, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. So as we worship God, we worship him uh, in truth. So just like we sang earlier, too, in our worship, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about him. It's all about what he is doing in our life through the truth that he's putting forward to us. And also, we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle that's going on, and that spiritual battle is over truth. Because if you think about what the main uh, weapon of our enemy is, what is it? Lies. Deception. From the very start, how did he get Adam and Eve to sin in the first place? By speaking lies to them. What happened when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? The devil's getting to speak lies, trying to get him to believe something that's false, right? And how did Jesus counter that, by the way? By speaking the truth, by telling the truth of God's word. That's how he was able to win the spiritual battle against the devil. And that's how we will win the spiritual battle against the devil is by embracing the truth and by uh, uh, confronting the devil's lies. And in fact, if you look in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about spiritual armor that we need to fight these spiritual battles that we're fighting, the spiritual armor, it's very interesting to look at what these different pieces are. And I'm not going to look at all of them here today because uh, we're just focusing on one element of it. Uh, but in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Paul told the Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles means deception, tricks, uh, lies that he's trying to uh, deceive us with to get us to follow his ways, to walk in sin. Well, interestingly, the very first thing that Paul mentions as part of that armor is truth. He said, put on the belt of truth. And so that's how we're going to confront the lies and the deception of the enemy. And the last uh, one that he mentioned was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we already learned in John 17, says, your word is truth. So he starts with truth, he ends with truth in the uh, armor of God uh, that we are uh, to be uh, putting on. Interestingly, though, right after talking about the armor of God, and it's really even part of the same sentence, at least the way it gets translated in the English translations, uh, it says that we are to be, this is verse 18 of Ephesians 6, it says we're to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so, Right after talking about putting on the armor of God, he talks about praying always. In fact, interestingly, there's a, a, a famous uh, uh, English 
uh, Christian figure of the 17th century. Maybe some of you have heard of him, uh, uh, John Bunyan, who was... Uh, who claimed that in these armor of God that he actually had that as the last piece of the armor of God. All prayer, he called it. All prayer. Praying always, as Paul mentions here. Because praying is one of the key paths, in fact, for us to gain truth. How can we gain truth? Well, we read God's Word. We already talked about that just a little bit here, that God's Word is truth. But as we pray and spend time with Jesus... That's also going to bring us into truth because Jesus is the truth. And, you know, you do end up being like those people that you hang around. And so if you want to be like Jesus, you better start hanging around Jesus. <laughs> start spending time with him. Start praying to him, talking to him, listening to him. That's how you're going to come to know the truth and be like he is. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 13, it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. Who's wiser than Jesus? So let's walk with Jesus. That's how you're going to be wise. That's how you're going to gain truth is by spending time with Jesus. Now, in our society, of course, there are a lot of people who reject the truth. So why is that? Why do people reject the truth? Well, Romans chapter 1 lays out for us a, a very interesting uh, discussion by Paul about the reasons why people reject to truth and turn away from God. And I'm going to read a fairly extensive passage here, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It says, For the wrath of God, the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the notion of suppressing is they know it, but they're just pushing it down. They're, they're trying to ignore it. They're trying to get rid of it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So notice it says they suppressed the truth. They pushed it down. They didn't want to listen to the truth. And why was that? Because they wanted to worship the creature, that is themselves, rather than to worship the true God. So they, it says they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. I had a really interesting conversation one time with a uh, man who, I'm not sure he's an atheist or agnostic. I don't know how you would uh, 
uh, describe himself, but it's one of those two. He was either an atheist or agnostic. He's a famous philosopher of science. You may not have ever heard of him, but uh, in his own field, he's very well known. He's a guy named Michael Roos. He's at the Florida State University in the United States. He's actually from Canada originally. But I met him uh, at a conference on evolutionary ethics at Oxford University, and we were having breakfast together, and we got, I started talking to him about God, and he'd actually been raised in a uh, religious family, a Christian family. Uh, and, but here's what he told me about why he doesn't accept Christianity or God. And I wrote this down, actually, right after my conversation. So I've got this almost word for word of what he said. And actually, I, I hesitated to share this publicly until fairly recently because I found out that he also shared this publicly in some talks that he gave, too. So I'm not sharing something that he hasn't shared publicly, too. He said this, he said, God and I never really got along from the time I was young. I don't want anyone telling me what to do in this life, and I sure don't want anyone telling me what to do in the next one. So the issue there was, I don't want to, I don't want to be under God's authority. I don't want to do what God is telling me that I have to do. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, and so as we shared a little bit, I told him that my view of God is as a benevolent authority, a benevolent Father who loves us. And yes, there are things He's told us to do, but it's He told us those things because He loves us, not because He's trying to harm us or push us down or anything like that. And sort of at the end of that, after I'd said that a little bit, His response was, I've never been good with authority. And that's really the key issue for a lot of people. They don't want to... God's authority over them, and so that's why they reject the truth. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who's a very famous German philosopher, who perhaps you've heard of, uh, who really is one of the most influential philosophers today in the, among the po so-called postmodernist uh, uh, people, which is permeating our intellectual elites of our time. Nietzsche. Uh, rejected God and embraced atheism, even though he'd been raised in a very religious household also. Uh, and he said in one of his writings called The Genealogy of Morals, he said, quote, nothing is true, everything is permitted. And that was why he rejected the truth, because he wanted everything to be permitted. He wanted to be able to do what he wanted to do instead of what God said to do. And then he said also in the same time, he said, quote, we have real freedom for the notion of truth itself has been disposed of. And Nietzsche is a powerful influence on the intellectual elites of our day. Because, and they're also saying, well, there is no truth. You know, truth is just something we create. Those are all ideas that Nietzsche put forward, put on the table in the 19th century uh, in Germany, which have had a powerful impact uh, still even today. Interestingly, both Jesus and Paul predicted, prophesied really, that in the end times, there would be gross deception, incredible deception going on. And indeed, we are living in a time of incredible deception. Uh, I don't want to get too much into this and get, get into the, the thicket on this, but uh, a recent U.S. United States Supreme Court justice was being uh, questioned before being confirmed by the U.S. Senate, and she could not answer the question, what is a woman? She said, I can't answer that. That's the kind of deception we're in today 
And, of course, we can go into all sorts of fields, you know, to look at this. Deception is just running rampant in our society. In fact, uh, you'll get people sometimes when you try to talk to them about different kind of things, and they'll say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. So they got these notions of truth that are completely uh, distorted, and we'll get to that here in just a second. So the, the whole notion of truth, though, is under attack. It's not just that people are disagreeing about what is true. They're disagreeing about whether there even is such a thing as truth today. Uh, the Newsweek editor, religion editor, in a 2008 article in the, in the United States, Newsweek is one of the most important uh, news magazines in the United States, or at least used to be. I don't know if it still is, but it used to be back before the Internet was, took over things. Uh, but he said this. He said, reason defines one kind of reality, what we know. Faith defines another what we don't know. And so they create this dichotomy or distinction between faith on the one hand, which is just, you can believe whatever you want to believe, you know, it's just what we don't know, and so you just make this leap of faith and you can believe with, you know, whatever fairy tale, myth, religious, and they, that's how they see it really, fairy tale or myth that you want to believe. If it gives you comfort, fine, you know, whatever. But it doesn't have any truth value. It's not, not there's not, no reality behind it. Whereas, Science and reason tell us what's real. That's the real world. That's the reality. And I want to just go real quickly with you over how we got to this place. Uh, and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but I go into a lot more depth on this in other places. But really this notion of this distinction of reality goes back really to the 18th century when Immanuel Kant, and I'm a historian, by the way, I'm a professor of history, so I'm going to give you a little bit, just a little tidbit of intellectual history here, history of ideas. Immanuel Kant, a German philosopher in the uh, 18th century, drew up this uh, dichotomy between knowledge on the one hand and faith on the other. And he said in his Critique of Pure Reason, I have therefore found it necessary to deny knowledge in order to make room for faith. So he saw knowledge and faith in two different realms. They're two different kinds of things. And so he was going to draw this distinction that some people today refer to as the fact-value distinction, uh, trying to say that facts are in one category, science, facts, reason, they're on one side, they're in one category. And on the other hand, we have religion and ethics and other things like that. And the science and the uh, the science and the uh, reason and such, those are objective, and basically they'll say, you have to believe us, you know, follow the science, right? That's what they tell us all the time. Follow the science. you got to believe that science. The religion and the morality, those are just subjective, and so you can believe whatever you want about those kind of things. You know, and, and if you, we, you know, we can have disagreements on those. That's no big deal at all. However, very often uh, people, in, uh, even in our uh, uh, society uh, transgress that dichotomy uh, by uh, trying by science trying to make truth claims, if you will, about religion and about ethics. And in fact, I've done a lot of study of this in my course of my uh, research. I've done I've written a number of books relating to evolutionary ethics, where uh, they you know. They will say that morality is simply the it's simply been produced through evolutionary processes. Uh, oh, by the way, here you have a, a, a more 
uh, in-depth thing on the slide there about Kant's, how he bifurcated knowledge, you know, his distinctions that he made. I don't have time to go through all of the details there, but you can see some of the, the different things of how he divided knowledge into two different realms uh, there. Uh, but uh, they claim that science can now tell us that ethics was created and morality was created through evolutionary processes. And by the way, what that means is that ethics is not, doesn't have any key reality. Can you go my next two slides? Skip the next slide and then, okay, even skip that one too, I'm sorry. Go on and skip that one. I'm going to go to the next one. I don't have time to do that one. Okay, here's a, an interesting quote that illustrates this where science is actually trying to take over claims about ethics and morality too. So E.O. Wilson, who's a famous biologist at Harvard University, uh, and Michael Roos, he's the one I actually quoted to you earlier, uh, philosopher of science, they wrote an article uh, saying that ethics as we understand it is an illusion fobbed off on us by our genes to get us to cooperate. So science is now trying to take over even ethics. And religion too, by the way. Sometimes they'll claim that religion itself was produced by evolutionary processes. And so again, it's just some kind of illusion that's been produced uh, by these uh, naturalistic processes. And so this notion of this fact-value distinction is often used by people in our society and culture to dismiss any kind of truth claims about religion or morality. So if you, again, if you tell them something about that is true and they'll say, well, you know, that may be true for you, it's not true for me. Or, you know, or I don't believe there's any such thing as truth. That's the kind of thing that uh, gets claimed. And there's a whole, whole set of ideologies that have come up today uh, that, have, uh, that teach this, that truth claims don't have any uh, objective validity. Marxism, if you know anything about Marxism, claims that uh, religion and morality are just tools of oppression. They're just ways that the bourgeoisie oppress the proletariat, the, that the middle class, the, that the capitalists oppress the, the working class. Darwinism claimed that, Darwinism or evolutionary biology claimed that uh, it's simply the product of uh, evolutionary processes. Nietzsche claimed that morality was just the creation of, of uh, that we create morality. Uh, and so there's all sorts of these different ways that people have to think about socially constructing all these different uh, uh, realities. In fact, Richard Rorty, who's a famous American, well, not real famous, but he's a philosopher, well-known among philosophers anyway, in the United States, said that truth is whatever your colleagues will let you get away with. <laughs> truth is whatever your colleagues will let you get away with. Interestingly, he was at a conference one time, and there was a Christian in the audience, and the Christian uh, stood up in the question and answer period and said, we're not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> This dividing of a reality into two realms has been driven by a, 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 an attempt to try to get rid of God, to suppress the truth, as we learned in, in Romans. And so we as Christians need to resist this fact-value distinction, this notion that truth is divided somehow else. And we need to insist that God is active in the world. And that's where our prayer life is all about as well. And so I'm going to close here with Psalm 145, verse 18, that says... The Lord is near to all who call upon him. So that's our prayer life. To all who call upon him in truth. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that you are the truth, and we pray that you'll reveal your truth to us more and more day by day. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Amen. you. It's been great to be Amen. with you. Not to be inappropriate, but can we just give uh, Professor Richard just another hand?
And um, my hope is, and uh, I don't need to hope too hard or too much, because I think it's very evident that as he speaks, you, you get the sense. There's, there's so much more depth to everything that he's shared. And we've only scraped the surface, but that's what a, a church service allows for. We are looking into ways how we can equip this congregation to be effective witnesses in every area of life. That also includes apologetics. So my friend, John Grobler, who actually escorted or brought uh, Professor Richard this morning, um, you will actually see him a little bit later on as well, um, maybe early next year, but we still need to chat. Um, so um, on, <clears throat> that's it from our side. Uh, to our online congregation, for our online community, the Heresien Jelle, a wonderful Heresien Dag. Thank you.